everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. I'm in the waiting room of Dr. Gerald Laurie, the brilliant surgeon who did my mitral valve prolapse repair. The last time I saw him was like in the middle of May. Dr. Laurie, hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Nice to see you. You look Man, great. Thank you. It's great to see you, Dr. Laurie. Oh, it's wonderful. Let's come in. Dr. Gerald Laurie, the master of the mitral valve. <laughs> okay, here's something I found fascinating. I look back at some of the tapes about a year ago when I was speaking, and my voice was like, yeah, yeah. I came in here and that quick. You looked at me. You go. You, you, of you need you surgery. Yeah. Yes. No, you definitely were having okay. symptoms. Had I had I not had surgery, it would not have been good. Well, you would have uh, gotten sicker and sicker, and within six or twelve months, it could have been over. I mean, and back before that, 1960, when the first artificial oh, mitral valve was put in, everyone just died. This condition you have died. been treated for it was a fatal illness. Wow. Oftentimes, quicker than some forms of cancer. I had no and, idea. And people don't realize how recent no, all this is. No, I didn't. In layman's terms, what is the mitral valve? Well, basically, the heart is a pump. It's, right. a, it's a big piece of muscle that's hollow inside. Mm-hmm. And like any pump, it's got an inlet valve that lets it fill up. Mm-hmm. And then as the heart starts to squeeze, that inlet valve closes. And okay. that's the mitral valve. And then the outlet valve is the aortic valve, which opens to let the blood go out. Huh. What was wrong with my mitral valve? It just was It was no. Uh. <laughs> it You've got a big hole that the blood comes shooting back into your lungs. Mm-hmm. And that's what I had, correct? That's what you had. The blood was backwashing into my lungs. Half the blood was going back into your lungs Half. instead of out into your body, yes. Okay, let's say a mitral valve surgery like mine, what are the basic things that you do once you get into the operating room? I like. Yeah. What, are, what are just the basic things? We take you into the operating room and put them on the operating table. And then uh, we make the incision in the, whatever kind of incision it is in your case. It was down the front here. Yes. And uh, open the breastbone up with a little oscillating saw. It's a little... Is that difficult to open the breastbone up? I mean... Uh, it, it tends to stay together after you make the little cut. It, it doesn't usually just pop over. It tends uh-huh. to sit together and you've got to pull it a little bit. I mean, it's not... Not, it's not like you've got, you've got to be strong to do heart surgery, but, uh, <laughs> yes. and then uh, the heart's right there, and we give a blood thinner called heparin, and then the heart lung machine is behind me, and the blood goes down from your right uh-huh. atrium, it uh-huh. goes through the uh, the pump, yeah, and then we clamp your main artery, and that stops the heart. That right. cuts the heart off the blood, and we give a special preservative solution uh, that stops the heart and keeps it cold. Gosh! With this technique, you can literally go to the nearest half millimeter uh-huh. on all your adjustments and then pick the perfectly sized ring. And that's why the repair rate now is, is essentially 100%. That is fascinating. And then we have to get all the air out because there's, uh, the heart's filled with air. Okay. And air bubbles can give you a stroke. So we have an echo probe down your throat through all this, and uh, we just stand there for about five minutes, pumping the heart and getting all this air out until we're free of air, and we watch that on the echo. So you actually manually yeah, with massaging your, hands. your heart for five minutes at the end of the surgery to get all the air out. Whoa! Make sure that you wake up, you know, intact. And so once that happens, 
Then Is that we when can you wire the, it? That, then we start the heart up, and then we gradually let the heart rest for a few minutes, recover, and then okay. we, we gradually slow down the flow on the heart lung machine, and the heart gradually picks up. Uh -huh. And then we start closing up, putting drainage tubes, and then put the wires in your breastbone and pull it yes. together. And then a couple more. What do you, what do you, people have asked me this, what do you wire the sternum or, or the chest? How, how do you do that? Well, I don't know whether uh, you've been involved in putting up chain link fencing at all, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, not really. <laughs> but, that, but that's kind of the way it is. Well, if you, think of, that, if you think of that top rail as the top yes, pole, I do, and then you I pull the wire that. up, and then there are these yeah. loops uh -huh. of wire you put around, you twist it. Yes. To bring the wire. That's what they do. That's, that's what, what you do. we do. We put the loop around, and then we twist it down, and we put a dozen of these loops in, and that pulls these two sides together very, very tightly. And then we put a layer of fishing, like heavy fishing line. Uh, fishing through. line? Yeah. Well, you know I love, I love, fish. the, I love fishing. Oh, that's like, yeah, well, that's, no wonder I feel so yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you put like heavy yeah, fishing this is line. Heavy nylon suture material. And then we close up the fatty tissue under the skin, which you didn't have much of. Oh, thank you. And uh, then we close the Yeah, skin. I was wondering if you could give me a breast lift while I, I should have asked you that because my, my, my pecs have sagged. I was just wondering. Oh, he, he, he just, he just, <laughs> okay. Back to the gym. Thank you, you for the surgery. I mean, I, seriously, I feel great. Maya, I, I do. I feel absolutely. Well, this is what got me into surgery. Like I say, yes. this ability to get people who are really heading into ultra serious mm -hmm. trouble and next thing, three months later, you're back to normal. That's right. I mean, it's, un it's incredible. Because had I not gone to the doctor, had I not just had a regular checkup for my cardiologist, I wouldn't have known I had a messed up valve. Had I not known that, I wouldn't have gone to this amazing surgeon. He wouldn't have cracked my chest open, repaired the valve, and I wouldn't be functioning like I am today. Now, had I disregarded the advice from the surgeon and my cardiologist, I could have gotten into severe trouble. But obviously, I paid attention and I said to myself, you know, I think this is a wise decision to have surgery. And the doctors have promised me, and I feel that way, that I would have more energy and feel better after the surgery, prior to the surgery. And I really do. I feel great. My chest still is, is sore. I mean, I can't do very many bro hugs right now. It's gonna take a year for the sternum to actually uh, come together and to fuse and to heal. However, I do feel great. I've been running and, and tomorrow morning, pray for me, I have another, another appointment. In fact, it's my first appointment since the surgery to talk to my cardiologist. So they're gonna do some more tests and things and I'm looking forward to, to uh, emerging unscathed. But heart surgery is not fun. It's not easy. You gotta go through pain to get to the other side. What if, what if you needed heart surgery? What if we had some sort of a spiritual sonogram in every seat? What if the God of the universe could look at your tests and mine? What would he see? We're talking about an open heart. God wants us to have an open heart before him, not just for his sake, for our sake. God sees it all. He knows my hypocrisy, my chicanery, my shenanigans, my sin, my rebellion, my attitudes, my motives. He knows. He knows when I'm not being the kind of man I should be. He knows when I'm not being 
the kind of husband or father or pastor I should be. God knows. You're not pulling one over on him. He sees it all. Yet God challenges us to open our hearts. God challenges you and me to, to crawl up on the operating table, to lie there. He challenges us to open ourselves up to him because he is the master surgeon. The Savior is the surgeon. You know one of the things they called Jesus was the great physician? Isn't that interesting? The Savior is the surgeon. Many times people are afraid to go to church. Have you noticed that? They are. Let's just be honest. People are like, no, I'm not sure. I was talking to a friend of mine today, in fact. He invited a friend of his, and he said he backed out. And I talked to someone else who said, yeah, I thought she was coming, but she didn't show up. On the other hand, I know a lot of people who said, yeah, my friend is here today. My family is here today. But why? 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 I'm a why guy. Why do certain people just kind of have an aversion to coming to church? It's like going to the doctor. A lot of people don't want to know the truth. Jesus is the surgeon. And this book right here is the blessed blade. It's the scalpel. A lot of people don't want to get cut. I understand that. This incredible surgeon, he didn't do the surgery just for himself. I don't think he needs any more money or acclaim. He's operated on kings and queens and emperors and recently Barbara Bush. He operated on a regular guy like me and, you know, he, he did it for me. You heard him. He is a surgeon, he is a doctor because he likes what happens as a result of what he does. It's not easy, it's not pleasant, but it's worth it. So I thank you for coming here today. I thank you for submitting yourself to the blessed blade, the scalpel, the word of God, because I don't have anything to say. I mean, don't come to church to listen to me. However, when I teach and preach the Word of God, listen. So all I have is the Word of God. Me just talking and waxing eloquently, I'm not sure I can even do that aside from the Word of God. That's one thing, but we're talking the Holy Bible. We're talking the Word of God. We're talking the Scriptures here. That's why at Fellowship, we're under the authority of the Word of God. It's our only authority, the Bible. We're a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church. We even believe the maps. <laughs> so I want to encourage you to open your heart. Some people don't want to come to church. They don't want to get cut. And I've heard people say for a long time, yeah, I grew up in a hellfire and brimstone church, and it couldn't turn me off church, so I'll never go back. Well, basically, that's a bunch of crap. I understand some churches are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but not very many. The reason people say that is because they've gotten too close to the fire, too close to the mirror, too close to the water, too close to the blessed blade, the sacred scalpel. The Bible is, is, is called a mirror. Did you know that? Have you ever looked at yourself in a mirror? You ever done that? If you have, lift your hand. No, no, you didn't listen to me. You've never looked at yourself in a mirror, nor have I. You've looked at your reflection, 
your image. You haven't looked at yourself, the depth of yourself. This is the only mirror that shows me who I really am. The mirror is God's word. Also, the Bible is liquid. The Bible washes you and me. You should have seen the pre-op I had to go through, not to get too detailed. They washed me and washed me and washed me, and then when they put me to sleep, who knows what they did to wash me. I was like, clean, man. This right here, this is the true shower. The Bible will wash us clean, will it not? The Bible. The Bible says about itself in 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. This word inspired means it's God breathed. Isn't that interesting? God can't have bad breath. So the Bible is a book of perfection. It was written by human authors, yet the original autographs are infallible. Second Peter chapter 121, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This word moved is a nautical term. It's a ship that's borne along on the sea or maybe some lake. The writers, whether they were multi-billionaires like Solomon or maybe they were very poor like some of the disciples, their sails were up, they listened to the Holy Spirit of God. They were carried forth to write the Word of God using their personalities, using their life experiences. The Bible is a book of perfection. God is a God of truth. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. The Bible is also, let me just tell you this a little bit about Jesus. The Word of God. The Word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, it means Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the Bible is not Jesus, yet on every page we see Jesus. Jesus is the hero of Scripture. He lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rose again so we could have life, so we could have a new heart. Notice also the, the authority of Scripture. Have you thought about that? As I said a second ago, when, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And then this book tells me, I mean, how to be, how to be the man God wants me to be. It's told me, because I've been reading this book for a long, long time, how to be the kind of junior high student that God wanted me to be, how to kind of be the athlete that God wanted me to be, how to be the kind of single man God wanted me to be, how to be the kind of boyfriend God wanted me to be when I started dating Lisa, how I'm to preach and how I'm to teach and how I'm to, to be the husband and the father, and over the next couple of days, a grandfather, a grandfather. This book, this book is the book of life. And whenever people have taken the book seriously in context throughout history, life change has taken place. So I want to ask you to put yourself on the operating table because that's what I did. They, they allowed me, when they wheeled me into the OR, they said, do you want us to lift you 
on the table or do you want to get on the table yourself? I said, I will get on the table myself. So I got up and the OR looked around. I'm like, whoa, man. And I just walked, put myself down. They said, move up a little bit. And then I'm out. And the next thing I knew, I had tubes sticking down my throat and wow, and then they took those out and then we started the fun part of the post-operative recovery regimen, which I'll have to tell you later, I am allergic to sulfa-based drugs. Anybody allergic to sulfa-based drugs? Well, here's what's so wacky. I had this giant, this giant wound, you know, they cracked my little chest open and sewed it up on all of my records, sulfa-based allergy, sulfa-based allergy. What were they pumping me with in my stomach with shots every two or three hours? A derivative of sulfa-based drugs. I broke out the rash from hell from the top of my head to the toes of my feet. So yeah, this thing hurt, but I think the rash might have been worse. So I had to face some tough stuff. I've noticed something when, 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 when people preach and teach the Word of God, the Bible. There are three reactions, and I've seen this for 27 years. Some people get mad. They really do, they get mad. I've seen people get up and storm out. People sent me this or that. I've had people actually talk to me. Some people get mad. Other people get sad. That's okay, I understand that, I see tears. I see conviction. I see like, oh, the blessed blade. Wow, that scalp. Oh, man, that, that's convicting. Other people, though, get glad. If you'll stay with the process, I promise you, you can move from madness to sadness, from sadness to gladness. After my surgery, I'll just, you know, be totally transparent here. I... I got mad a little bit. I was mad. Man, I can't believe I've had to have heart surgery. Can't do this, can't do that for a while. Arr, arr. Even barked at Lisa some. Talked to her, I was in a bad mood, mad, kind of mad. Watch out. She looked at my brother, she was like, man, you know, mm. <laughs> Then I got a little sad. Doggy downer, you know, oh man. I'm tired of this rash and Oh, I heard this even walk. I couldn't barely get out of the bed. But after a while, after I think six days in the hospital, they finally said, Mr. Young, you can go home. So I got in the car, driven by a friend of mine. I said, first stop, Whataburger. <laughs> that made me glad. So I had Whataburger and drove back to beautiful Dallas and I've been glad. So what I'm saying is stay with the process. Here's what the Bible says about itself very, very quickly. The Bible illuminates and penetrates. It's the sacred scalpel, the blessed blade. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, for the word of God is alive. The word alive ooh, ooh, ah, ah, is the word zoo. We get the word zoology from it. The Bible is alive. It's not reading some book by Grisham. It's not reading some textbook. No, no, the Bible is alive. In fact, this next word, active, is from two words, ergo and in. It means in energy, energy in. 
you read the Bible, you sit under biblical teaching, you've got energy, you've got life. Isn't that great? So yes, we're cut. Yes, we have to have sutures. Yes, the Bible is like a fire and, and surgeons cauterize things to stop the bleeding. All those things are true. Yes, the Bible is a mirror, but we have to allow ourselves to get convicted, to go through the pain, to go through the process, to get mad and sad. And on the other side, we're going to be glad. God has your best interest in mind. As a single adult, he's got your best interest in mind. As a single parent, you might be way up there in the balcony. I'm telling you, God has your best interest in mind. He has our best interest in mind financially, relationally. God has our best interest in mind. Yet to get to it, we've got to go through it. We've got to be willing to have open heart surgery. So, so, so the Bible illuminates and penetrates. You know, the Bible is talked about and, and it's described as a light and a lamp unto our feet. Psalm 119, 105. Do you want to see where you're going? I want to know where I'm going. This book. Now, I'm all about, you know, Christian psychology. I'm all about studying human behavior. I'm all about this or that. But there's no book like this book. There's none like it. It's the Word of God. It doesn't just contain the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Go to the Bible. Make the Bible your priority. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this cool devotional app that I've been writing. Have you seen that? I've been writing it. Some of the other uh, pastors have been uh, writing it as well. It's, it's a really great thing. If you don't have it, you've probably heard about it already, Download Fellowship Church app. Just go to App Store Fellowship Church and just bing, bing. That's right, the icon get, bing, and you'll have it. If you're, again, going to school, if you are, are, are in the rat race of work, if you're a teacher, if you're a stay-at-home mom, which is probably the most difficult job out there, five minutes, five minutes allowing the scalpel of God's Word, the light of God's Word, the mirror of God's word, the water of God's word to do its work in your life, I'm telling you something, amazing things will happen. So it illuminates and penetrates. It exposes sin. You know, we don't like to call sin, sin anymore. We call it mistakes. Some attorneys call it issues. <laughs> we, don't, we don't like to say repentance or will you forgive me? No, 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 we say, my bad. Hey, I'm, I want to apologize if I offended you. What? What? Let's call it what it is. What is sin anyway? Sin is an archery term. You know, a lot of people like to bow hunt. I, you know, I'm not a hunter, but I have a lot of friends who bow hunt. And, and, and when you bow hunt, you're not always going to hit the target. You're going to miss the target. That's called a sin in archery. God's target is perfection. All of us have missed the target. All of us have sinned. So the Bible illuminates and penetrates. It, it shows us stuff we didn't even know were there. I had no idea my mitral valve was that serious. When I got the call, hey, you got some, some serious problems. You need to open heart surgery. I was thinking to myself, what? 
I don't, I mean, I don't feel that bad. I mean, I feel good. You know, I'll be working out at a trendy gym with the trainer and I mean, what? But then when I saw, wow, the depths of my heart after five grueling tests, then talking to this master surgeon, I was like, I'm in trouble. See, I thought I knew myself. I thought I knew my heart, but I didn't until I saw the depths of it through the eyes of these tests and through the eyes of a master. People walk around and go, oh yeah, I know myself. I know my heart. Follow your heart. Your heart's not in it. And I understand that. We know ourselves pretty well, but we don't really know ourselves. Only God, only his blessed blade can show us who we really are because there's sin in there. There's cancer in there. There's disease in there that only he can cut away. Have you put yourself on the table? This blessed blade, this supernatural scalpel. For the word of God, it says in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates, that means to go through, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, that is deep. It judges, uh-oh, the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Those negative thoughts that I have that I don't want to tell anybody else about. Those impure thoughts, those selfish thoughts, those materialistic thoughts. Have you ever been trying to pray and all of a sudden, boom, where did that thought come from? Have you ever been to church and like, bam, man, what's, what's up with that? Well, the Bible tells me in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So we're not talking about a physical tissue. We're talking about a spiritual issue. Look at our world today, the mayhem, the murder, the racism, the wars, the selfishness, the just absolute wheels offness. I made that word up. We have a heart problem. The issue is the heart, and the heart is the issue. Psychologists can't give us the answer. Anthropologists can't give us the answer. Biologists can't give us the answer. They try, but they fall miserably short. This is the answer. We have a diseased and depraved heart that can only be cured by God himself. So the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And this book is called The Sword of the Spirit. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges. This word judges, you want to highlight that? We get the word critique from it, critic from it. God critiques you and me for our best interest. After our Saturday night service, we always have a critique meeting where we critique the service. We critique everything that we do up here. We critique even the ushers, we critique the parkers because we're expressing the love of God. We should do things with excellence. So we critique. And we always say, we don't criticize. We critique. So when I critique you, or when I receive critique, I'm being critiqued in order to get better. 
So usually I'll even tweak and change the message from Saturday to Sunday because of this critique session. Now, it's not fun. It's like, oh, man, I, I cannot believe I didn't say that, or I forgot that point, or yes, I should have done that, or I could have told that story to make that clearer, and then I'll go home, watch the game film. I mean, the film of the service on my computer, then go through and, and, and change it and tweak it. So, so, so God wants to do that in your life and mine, because, again, he wants... He simply wants the best. Look at verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. I mean, we're not going to surprise him. He knows it. He just wants us to know that he knows it, and he knows more than we know. And when he shows us what he knows, we're going to be like, whoa, I had no idea you knew that, and now I know that. You got it? Everything is uncovered and laid bare. This, this, this phrase, laid bare, is, is, is literally face-to-face. It's a wrestling term. Okay, how many people are going to order the Conor McGregor Mayweather fight? How many people are going to order it? That's okay. You lift your hand. I'm not... Okay, some of the balcony. Yes, God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> I believe Mayweather is going to kill him. That's my opinion because he is not primarily a boxer. Now, if they took the gloves off, and did this MMA style, Floyd would last maybe 20 seconds. He would, he, would, he would tap out quick. This phrase, I love this, laid bare is, is a couple of fighters, wrestlers face to face. When we allow God to operate on us, when we expose ourselves to the blessed blade, face to face. That's what God wants to do in our lives. So, so, so everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. A lot of people are running from God. And I would tell you this, what you're running from is what you need to run to. Because could it be what you're running to is what you need to run from? Run to God. Run to his word, run to his grace, run to his forgiveness and love. Some people get mad. Some people get sad. Some people get glad. A while back, I did a message and I was talking about riches. I was talking about wealth. And I basically said, you know, God is not anti-wealth or anti-ownership. Some people in the Bible were mega wealthy. Others didn't have that much. The Bible says, though, it's difficult for a rich man to get into heaven. He said it's like a camel. I call it camel filter. A camel trying to get through the eye of a needle. You're supposed to laugh there. Your camel filter, get, okay. Well, this guy who's very wealthy didn't dig it. And I know him, I've known him for a while. He's like, man, I don't, I didn't like what you said about wealth. I said, well, man, I just said what God said. No, I don't like it because you said a lot of people have a hard time being good and wealthy. I said, yeah, that, that's, 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 that's what the Bible says. 
I said, man, don't get mad at me. If you got a problem, if you got a problem, take it up with God. And I said, you're mad, but I'm going to defend God's word. I don't care how much money you have. But if you'll stay with the program, you can move from madness to sadness because you know what your problem is? I told them this. You are ruled by riches. And the thing you don't understand is if you gave your entire life to God, he would probably make you wealthier than you are now, but I don't think you'll ever do it because money has you. What was happening? This guy, this guy was cut by the supernatural scalpel, by the blessed blade. He's not been back since. If he'd have stayed with the program, he'd have gone from madness. I've been mad before. Sadness. And then gladness. And I pray that they'll get it, but I don't know. Where are you today? Because that blessed blade is cutting, it's slicing. And God is doing it for your best, for my best. I pray that you would turn to him. Some here have a hard heart and God wants to soften it. Others here, you've never given your heart to Jesus and today you can make that decision. You might have a few little symptoms like I had, a little bit of <sighs> out of breath, a little bit, oh, I don't feel quite right. My voice was hoarse. I didn't realize I had cardiac asthma. But after the test and the physician and after the surgery, look at me now. Feel great. Could it be that as the Holy Spirit is moving, as God is cutting to the heart of the matter, you realize that you need a new heart, a new life, that you need God to take control of your heart, to forgive you, to cleanse you, to change you. You can make that decision right now. Because everyone lives forever. Everyone. And that's great news. Yet we live in one of two places forever. If we did the Heisman and kept God at bay our entire lives, God would simply give us a greater measure of that when we die. And the Bible says we'll face the word of God again. You know people, so do I. Oh man, I'll never go to church. They're running from the word of God. You know what God says? They'll hear the word of God again. When they die, they'll say, oh, I didn't realize it. I, I mean, I, hell, and, and listen to me. God doesn't hurl anybody to hell. Let me say it again. God does not send anybody to hell. We make that choice. If you go to hell, you're going against the will of God. You make that choice. But some are going to go, God, I don't deserve hell. I mean, God, yeah, I kept you at a distance. God will say, exhibit A, 
Do you remember at Fellowship Church that time? Do you remember when that preacher preached the Word of God? You had an opportunity. You did the Heisman. You'll have a greater measure in eternity in a place called hell. Others of us who've responded to the Word, who've received Christ, who's given our hearts to Him, will go to heaven. Not because of what we've done, but because of what we received that God has done for me by sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. But it's my choice, it's your choice. I can't make that choice for you. You've gotta make it. But I would be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to make this decision to give your heart, to open your heart to Jesus. So let's pray together. Every head is bowed. No one moving or stirring because God is doing business in people's lives. Whether you're here, whether you're in Miami, whether you're in Northport, whether you're in Prosper Salina, whether you're in downtown Dallas, whether you're in South Lake Keller, whether you find yourself in Fort Worth, whether you find yourself at Alasso Ranch, if you're watching online, if you're watching on television, I wanna give you an opportunity right now to ask Jesus to come into your life, to take control of your life. You'll be saying, well, Ed, I don't have much faith. Here's what Jesus said. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, a tiny mustard seed, Christ will infiltrate your life. So simply pray this prayer. Just pray this prayer after me to yourself. This is between you and God. Just say, God, I want to admit the obvious before you. That I've sinned, I've fallen short, I've messed up. I admit to you that and I turn from that and I turn to you. I believe God that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins and right now I give my heart, Jesus, to you. I open my heart and I give the totality of who I am, the essence of myself, my intellect, my morals, my all, my everything to you. listening and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless.